All right, I want to ask you all to stand this morning, or afternoon, or night, whatever it is. I guess it's afternoon, right? And if we can turn to Psalm 46, we're going to read the whole psalm together. And I want to speak to you briefly today about something we've already been singing about. Pastor Quasey already stole a couple of my verses. The ever-present God. Our ever-present God. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We sang about the God of the angel armies who's every once in a while by my side. Always by my side. Are you ready to read? It's up on the screen. Ready? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts His voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolation He has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit now to enlighten our eyes and our hearts, open our ears that we can hear what the Spirit would speak to us today, O God. Bless each one listening, and Lord, accomplish your will and your work in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We've heard this many times. We, we sing it often about God being with us, God being by our side. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. But you know, when you really experience that is when you're in trouble. <laughs> and I don't wish that on any of you, but if you're not in trouble, sometime in the not-too-distant future, you probably will be. And those are times that God allows and even engineers so that we can experience the truth behind these words. He is always with us. And we're going to look at a few amazing scriptures this morning that we think God is only with us when we're in church on a bright, sunny day and we're singing beautiful hymns and we feel encouraged. That's not the Bible picture. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And you probably know the scripture, so we don't need to turn there. But in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, it actually is a double negative. God will never, no, never leave you, nor forsake you. That's pretty strong language. He doesn't plan to go anywhere once you and I give our lives to Him. 
When we become a child of God, when we're born again, and we have made Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives, he says, I've come to stay. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be with you in every situation that you pass through, good and bad. And it's the bad part that we often have trouble. I think most of us can acknowledge God's with me when I'm feeling good and I got goosebumps and, and, you know, all that. But what about when I'm being despised, rejected, nothing seems to be going right? Maybe I'm in pain or I'm in some kind of trouble. Has God left me? Has God forsaken me? And all throughout the Bible, I'm not even going to look at all the scriptures I have in my notes this morning, but verse after verse after verse, God reiterating the same thing. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. He told that to Moses. Moses told that to the children of Israel. God told that to Joshua. And over and over and over, be strong, be courageous, because I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'll be with you there on the battlefield. I'll be with you in the wilderness in whatever path you're taking, I'm going to be with you. But you know, Moses got that confidence through an experience he had. And we've talked about this before, but to sort of give some background to where I want to go this afternoon, if we can go to Exodus chapter 33 and look at verse 12 down to verse 16, Moses has a very interesting interaction with God here. And as I was sharing a little bit earlier, my experience is God likes it when I get real with him. He doesn't want me playing church, playing games, playing religion. He likes me to just get real and tell him what's in my mind, what's in my heart, what's troubling me, what do I want, what's going on. God likes that. And we do too, don't we? I don't like people that say one thing and then they turn their back and they're saying or thinking something else. I like people that just tell me what's on their mind. And you don't have to be second guessing. I wonder what he really meant behind those words. God doesn't like that. He just wants us to tell him what's on our heart. And Moses was that kind of a person. And I think God appreciated that about Moses. And let's look it up. Uh, a little dialogue that goes on between Moses and God. As you know, God had called Moses with a very special calling to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And Moses is kind of touching on that here. He says to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. Okay? If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may continue so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, and you ever notice sometimes, and I've talked about this before with, with Jesus, even when he was here on earth, people would say one thing and he would act like he hadn't even heard them. People would ask him a question and he would go off on a whole different tangent. It doesn't seem like God heard Moses' prayer here, or did he? The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. That's not what Moses asked. He asked for a whole bunch of other things. Teach me your ways and this and that and the other. The Lord just says, my presence 
will go with you, and I will give you rest. Next verse. Then Moses said to him, Moses isn't real easy to satisfy, you know. He says, okay, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Remember, you told me I'm supposed to lead these people, and you're promising me now your presence. If your presence doesn't go, we're not moving. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Say that with me. Unless you go with us. Again, unless you go with us. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? My friend, that is a profound revelation. And I think it's taken me years to begin to really appreciate it. But I'm going to tell you where I'm at in my own walk with the Lord. I've been a Christian for 40 years. Most of those I've been in full-time ministry. I've learned a few things. I've read the Bible quite a few times. I've taught on just about everything I can find in the Bible. But you know what? None of that stuff can ever take the place of God's presence with you. And when you are in a squeeze, in a challenge, in a tough time, is where God really shows you the difference between maybe just a bunch of stuff you know, and even past experiences that you've had, they don't cut it. They don't cut it. You need the Lord with you. And what Moses is saying here is really profound. Lord, there's nothing else that really makes us any different from any other person on the face of the earth. We're no different from any other people. We got the same sinful tendencies, same weaknesses. We're just like all of them, except for God in our lives. There isn't any other difference. Now, I want to encourage you, join in our Bible studies, learn all you can from the scriptures. That's good. We need to study the scriptures. We need to learn the Bible. But even if you memorize the Bible from cover to cover, that alone is not going to set you apart. Moses said, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? It's his presence. And the way Moses went about seeking God's presence in this prayer, I would recommend you study this prayer carefully and see how Moses made this a priority. Lord, I need you in my life. And if you don't come, we're not moving. And the bottom line is, if God's not in what you and I are doing, we aren't going anywhere. We may be like the hamster on the wheel spinning round and round and round, but we're really not going anywhere. We're not accomplishing anything without God's presence in our lives. So yes, he is the ever-present God, but we need to take that a little further and understand he's promised to never leave me, to never forsake me, and that needs to be the center of our whole fellowship Our whole ministry, everything we're doing must center around the presence of the Lord. In Isaiah 41, and I don't know, somebody has claimed this. I've never bothered to count it or confirm it, but they say there are hundreds of times in the Bible where God repeats himself, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. 
And all of the places that I find that, they're always similar. And in Isaiah 41.10, we'll read it first, and then I want to tell you what it doesn't say. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Notice what it does not say. Fear not because you are strong. Fear not because you are smart. You've got it all figured out now. Fear not because you have 40 years of experience. And you can fill in the blank. Fear not because you are rich. Fear not because you have all nine spiritual gifts. I only see one reason for not fearing here. What is it? I am with you. And again, after all is said and done, you may be strong, you may be smart, you may be rich. If so, see me. We can add a little bit more to that offering plate. You may be strong, smart, rich, have all nine gifts. You've got a hundred years of ministry experience. If you're trusting in any of that stuff, God will find a time and a place to scare you. Just to show you that we do not fear, not because of all those things, but because God is with us, period, period. And we need to be very careful. And as I, as I said earlier, study the Bible, memorize it, learn it from cover to cover. That's all very good. But don't trust in that knowledge. Trust in the God that the scriptures are talking about. Seek the presence of the God that the Bible reveals and know that in whatever situation you find yourself, he will be there with you. And that is your confidence, not just being able to quote some Bible verses or, oh, well, I know what happened seven years ago when I was in a situation like this. No, 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 no. What happened seven years ago was seven years ago. What you're in now is different. And God may have a whole different way of deliverance, a whole different way of taking you into victory this time than the last time. And that's why we seek the Lord, because we need Him in our every situation. Our God is an ever-present what? Ever-present what? Help! Now, I, you all look pretty strong, pretty good today. I guess nobody here needs help, right? Because this God really only is for people who need help. If you don't need any help, then you don't need God. And there's a lot of people out there today that don't think they need any help. And that's why they're not in here, and that's why they're not seeking God, because they think they can make it on their own. They think they can. While we're here in Isaiah, go up two chapters to Isaiah 43, and verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. But now... This is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, you'll build a boat. I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God. You know, there's a word in that passage that appears three times that troubles me a lot. It's the word when. Notice it doesn't say if. Are you all with me? Do you understand the difference? God is not saying if 
you run into some trouble once in a while. He says, when it happens. And again, I'm not wishing that on anyone. I'm not wishing it on myself. But when it happens, he says, you need to know something. I'm going to be with you. There's another word that appears three times here that I like a lot. Can you guess what it is? It's the word through. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. You see, God takes us through situations. He doesn't intend to leave you there. It may seem like a long time that you've been in the fire or in the river or in the water, but his intention is to take you through so that you will learn something more about him in the fire, in the flood, in the river. And so when we pass through different experiences in life, that's when it's the hardest, but the most important for us to understand, I will be there with you. I will be with you. And here again, my experience, and I've never been in a fiery furnace, but when you're in something like that, all of your Bible knowledge, it seems to evaporate. All of your favorite Bible verses, you can't seem to quite quote them. And all of your past religious services and experiences and revival meetings, gone. The one thing you need to know in that moment is God is with me. God is with me. That's it. Plain and simple. And I've had a few experiences in my life that I boast about. And I'm not boasting about myself because I recognize very easily and very fully that had God not been there with me, I would have been so scared so worried, I probably would have just passed out and died. But many times we find ourselves in a situation, we don't even have time to think about anything. It just happens and you're in it. And I've had a few of those experiences over the years where even now looking back, it scares me to talk about it. But when it happened and when I was in it, there was no fear at all. And the only answer I can give you, the Lord was there with me. Plain and simple. And that gives me some confidence that if and when I have ever have to go through another one of those, as scary as it may seem to me, I believe the Lord's going to be there. And that same presence that took away all fear will be there again. Uh, I think I've shared with you an experience Pastor Tom and I had some years ago of being arrested for preaching. You may think, wow, what country were you in? Uh, we were in U.S., We were in Maryland, and we were in Langley Park, a stone's throw from here. And we were out, I was strumming my guitar and singing, and we were preaching and passing out tracts. And they arrested a group of us, and we spent the night in jail. And, you know, I'd like to be able to say we got whipped like Paul and Silas, and we almost died for Jesus, but uh, it was in the summertime. The jail cell was air-conditioned. And we only stayed there one night, and we are out by the next day. And we had such a presence of God in that jail. If I could have that every Sunday in church, I'd give any amount of money for it. I'm telling you, the Lord showed up in that jail in a way that we could not stop singing and shouting 
and praising God. We didn't sleep a wink all night. We were so excited. And of course, they had to divide us up into different cells. So, you know, one brother would be down the hall and another brother would be here and another brother over here. And every once in a while, one of them would just start praising God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Lord, I praise you. Glory to Jesus. And then somebody would break out in tongues and somebody else would start shouting hallelujah. And pretty soon after that, one of the police officers would come in because right next to the jail cell they had us in was their dispatcher's room where they would dispatch all their cars for any incidents that were coming up. And they couldn't hear anything on the radio because we were making so much noise. So they kept coming in saying, you guys need to shut up. We can't hear anything on our radio. Okay, okay, we'll be quiet. And honestly, we were trying to comply, but the Lord's presence was there so strong after about five minutes, it would just start bubbling up. Lord, I praise you. God, you are so great. You are awesome. Then we'd start shouting and hollering and dancing around in ourselves. They'd come in again. This went in all, this went on all night long. Don't tell me the Lord won't be with you in prison. We got a little little taste of that. And I've heard experiences of other men and women of God who really suffered in prison. We didn't suffer, but the Lord was there with them. Had another experience when I was pretty young in the Lord. We were out street witnessing. I don't know, we just seemed to always get into trouble. (laughs) That happens when you preach the gospel. And uh, we decided we were going to sort of park ourselves in front of a liquor store one Friday night. And as all the young kids were coming in there, buying their beer and their liquor for the weekend, we were there handing out tracts to them and trying to preach to them. Well, this carload of young men came and we tried to share Christ with them and they were laughing at us and mocking and they went on in, got their, you know, liquor and stuff and they got back into the car. And there was another car parked right next to where their car was. And I was kind of leaning against that car and continuing our conversation as they came back out. And, you know, I was talking to the driver of the car, something about the Lord. And the next thing I knew, he started up the car and he deliberately backed the car up and completely cut the wheel so as to smash my two legs against the car behind me. And I'm not making this up because it left a dent about that deep in the car that I was standing up against. And of course, as they were driving out, I knew that this car was actually smashing my legs into the car next to me, and I felt no pain at all. And the first thing the devil whispered to me, the reason you don't feel any pain is you lost your legs. There's no more pain. There's no more feeling there. You're never going to walk again. And they were all laughing as they were pulling out and they saw what was happening. And I just stood there and I said, God bless you guys. And after they left, I looked down. I had no pain, no broken bones, nothing wrong with my legs. Pastor Tom was there with me. And we looked at the car and here's this big dent made in the door of the car. And Tom said, well, I guess an angel just punched the door into the car to make room for your legs so it didn't hurt you. I don't know what happened, but the Lord was there. The Lord was there. Now, do I want to go out witnessing tomorrow night and have somebody run over me? No, the thought of it scares me. But the Lord was there when it happened. My favorite one is when I was pastoring a church in Brooklyn, New York. 
that was a wild place. And we lived in a little row house, and there were, of course, houses on either side of us. And we would gather in the mornings and sing and pray, and I had my guitar there, and we, those days, we would just kind of sit around on the floor, worshiping the Lord and praying, and we were having one of those times one morning, and the, it was warm weather, I forget, spring or summertime, so the back door had a screen on it, so we had opened the door to get some fresh air coming in while we were having our prayer time. So I'm there, you know, just strumming on my guitar and we're worshiping the Lord. And the next thing I knew, pow! And I'm laid out in the middle of the room on my back. I learned later that our next door neighbor had come in through the back door and given me a karate kick to my head, knocked me flat out in the middle of the floor, and he's standing over me with a 14-inch butcher knife. Now, when I think about this now, it scares me to death. (laughs) And I'm not trying to sound all super spiritual or courageous or anything. Quite the contrary, I would have been scared to death if the Lord had not been there. But honest to God, I had no fear. I I fully expected, you know, this is it. He's going to lower the knife and I'm done with my ministry. And I don't know if it was an angel or what happened. I didn't see an angel, but he tried repeatedly to bring that knife down, and he couldn't. And finally, he got so frustrated, he just cursed and went back out the door and went next door. I thought about that for a long time. And later that afternoon, I was in my room, and I saw him walking down the sidewalk. The Holy Spirit said, go out and talk to him. I said, I rebuke you, devil. (laughs) Enough is enough. That little voice came again. Go outside and talk to him. No, no, no. And I realized, this isn't the devil, this is God. And I started arguing with God. God said, go out and talk to him. I went out there, and this time I was afraid. I got to be honest, I was afraid. And I went up to him. I didn't. I don't even know his name. I don't think I ever did know his name. I just said, you know, and before I could say anything more, he became like a little lamb. He hung his head to the ground, and he said, I don't know what came over me. And I realized this isn't a good time to give a teaching on demonology. But he said, I don't know what came over me and made me do that this morning, but I'm really sorry. And I accepted his apology, and I told him, don't worry about a man. We'll be praying for you. And he went his way. Less than a month later, one night, it was quite late, I was still awake in my room, and one of the other brothers who was living in the house there at that time, few of you may know Aaron Harley, he came running into my room, and he was just saying, fire, fire fire. I'm like, what in the world, man? Are you on fire for God? He says, no, brother, the place is on fire. Get out. And we ran out into the street, made sure we got all of our people out. And then we realized the fire was in the building next door where this guy lived. And truth be told, the whole three floors of that house was nothing but drug addicts and drug pushers. And as the place is going up in flames, we found out that there were people up on the third floor and we ran back into our building all the way up to the third floor and we actually rescued them over onto our fire escape. So nobody got hurt, but listen to this. God gutted the whole place. He burned out all the drug pushing, all the corruption, everything that was going on in that house, all gone. And the the place just sat there like that for several years. 
Let me tell you something. When you're walking with the Lord, when you're doing what He's told you to do, He's with you. He's with you. He will fight your battles. And angel armies will be by your side when they're needed. In Daniel chapter 3, we have the famous story of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those, of course, were Babylonian names given to them. They were Jewish. Those were not their original names. And they're now in Babylon as exiles, and they were friends of Daniel's. And these four uh, Jews had been favored by God, even though they're Jews in Babylon, they were so blessed and favored by God that God has promoted them to key positions of administration and government in the Babylonian government. Okay? But we read in verse 1, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, that this King Nebuchadnezzar, and this is pretty amazing, he made an image that was 90 feet tall for everyone to worship. Okay? It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And jump down to verse 6 and we'll find out some details about why he made this image. He issued this decree, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Next verse. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, go back to verse 2 for a minute. There are actually seven different uh, groups of government officials that are mentioned here that were all a part of Nebuchadnezzar's government in Babylon. And some of these names, I don't even know what they are. You can look them up. Uh, I don't even know if the Bible commentators are fully sh- sure. But they were all uh, top ministry officials in the government of Babylon. He summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Let me tell you something. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean it's right. Hello? Just because everybody in the government is saying it's okay doesn't mean it's okay. And just because the government says it's now legal to smoke marijuana in certain states, abortion is legal, gay marriage is being endorsed by every state. And so what if all 50 states make it legal? Abortion's legal, gay marriage is legal, marijuana's legal. Does that make it legal? Does that make it right? And my point is, very often, large crowds, even whole governments, can come under deception and delusion. So here's Nebuchadnezzar with his 90-foot idol, and he's got all of his government officials 
coming to that dedication and falling down before it and worshiping it. Let me tell you something. This is a preview of coming attractions. If you read Revelation chapter 13, something similar to this, but on a global scale is coming very soon. You say, oh, that could never happen in our modern day of iPhones, iPods, iPads, and i whatever else. Oh, really? You think all the computers have made us that smart? Huh. Better check again, because Revelation 13 says the Antichrist, there is going to be an image set up, and anyone who will not fall down and worship it will be put to death. And the Bible says that all of the earth will be deceived by it. All of the earth will be deceived. Deception is a powerful thing. And deception was working very strongly here in the Babylonian kingdom. And coming back to Daniel 3, after this image is set up, and we read in verse 7, let's go back to verse 7 again. And I just want to point out something here again. As soon as they heard all these musical instruments, it says all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Every, all, everybody's in on this thing. Almost. And the plot thickens in verse 8. And you know the story. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever! You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, <coughs> excuse me, must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whosoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. You know, I'm sure the furnace helped encourage everyone and all the people and all the nations to fall down before this thing. Okay? Whoever does not fall down will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Keep going. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. These guys are in his administration. They're officials. Okay, And I, I was searching this out today. No one seems to know where Daniel is. Obviously, Daniel would not have compromised. So it's believed he may have been on some kind of a trip or a mission uh, outside of the city, and he was just not around when all of this happened. Otherwise, he would have surely been with the other three. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. I like this next part. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Maybe we got a, a, a bad report here. Let, let's, let's check this out. Now, I'm going to let you reconsider, even if you did have thoughts about that before, I'm going to give you another chance. So, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all those other things, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, what god 
will be able to rescue you from my hand. Huh. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied. I mean, there's three different people, but they replied. <laughs> it wasn't like, hey guys, let's huddle here for a minute and discuss what we're going to do. They didn't have to discuss it. The three of them answered unanimously, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now let's park there for a minute. That's an amazing confession of faith. And there's two parts to it. We know the God that we serve is able to rescue us. And he will do it. But just to show the depth of their conviction, even if he doesn't, we're not bound down to your gods. You know, I was, I was really moved by that today as I was praying over this message. And I was saying, Lord, help us to have that kind of depth to our conviction. That convenience, no convenience, rescue, no rescue, angel or no angel, I am not bowing down to an idol or an antichrist or a false god or anything other than the living God. I'm not going to do it, period. And the Lord saw their heart. He knew these guys are determined. They cannot be changed. And the king saw that too. So he doesn't give them a third chance. Second chance was all they got. Next verse. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. Furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. <laughs> I think it was hot enough to cook people before. And commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and throw them into the blazing furnace. These guys are done, man. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, and it's bad enough to be thrown into a furnace that's now seven times hotter than usual, but they've tied them up. They were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and <clears throat> the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up to the furnace. Can you imagine? And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. End of story, right? Next verse. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace, I don't know why he didn't get burned up, and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out! 
come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Now, you got to stop here for a minute. They didn't seem to be in any hurry to get out. They're loose now. They're free. They don't have any more ropes around them. They've been walking around in this fire, and there's a way to get out, and they haven't even tried to escape the flames of the fire until Nebuchadnezzar calls them out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, okay? And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. (laughs) Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Is God with us? Is he with us in the fire? That's what he said in Isaiah. When you go through the waters, when you go through the flood, when you go through the fire, you won't be burned. Because I am with you. I think we need to really study this a little bit more carefully. (laughs) This God being with you isn't just, oh, you know, a little warm, fuzzy feeling that I get once in a while. No, he's there to fight for you. He's there to rescue you. He's there to deliver you. He's there no matter what you're going through. He's that fourth man in the furnace. And by the way, just a side note, when John saw Jesus, the Son of God, on the Isle of Patmos, his eyes were like flaming fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his face shone like the sun. You know what I believe? This is my own theory. But when Jesus got into that furnace with them, his fire overcame the flames of the furnace. Because he is a consuming fire. And when Jesus is with us in whatever we're going through, he guarantees victory. He guarantees victory. He never loses. And you and I never lose when he's with us. It has nothing to do with how bold and strong and courageous and fearless we are. It's whether or not he's with us. Now to finish this, I never saw this before. This blessed me. This is just a little, a little tidbit to leave you with. The Gospel of Matthew, it starts in chapter 1 and it ends in chapter 28 with basically the same statement. At the birth of Jesus and at his ascension, God wanted us to hear the same thing twice from his birth all the way through his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension back up to the Father. We'll begin with the first one, Matthew 1 and verse 23. This one's for our cameraman. Matthew 1, 23. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God 
with us. Now go to Matthew 28, verse 20. Matthew 28 and 20. I'm sorry, did I say 20? 18. My bad. Matthew 28, 18. Just making sure you're awake back there. Then Jesus came to them and said, a little bit of authority has been given to me. You know I'm going to do this. What's all mean? Like, all there is? Like, if you take all the authority? Is that what he's talking about? Yes. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, that's an important word. We're not going to do well as Christians if we don't understand what he just said. And, you know, going back to our three Hebrew friends for just a minute, I think basically what Nebuchadnezzar was telling them, uh, do you guys have any idea how powerful I am? I can decide your fate right here, whether you live or whether you die. And you know what they basically said to him? No, you don't. You don't decide our fate. And you remember Jesus before Pontius Pilate? Pilate said, speak up, man. Don't you understand? I'm the one that decides your fate, whether you go to the cross or whether I spare your life. Jesus told Pilate, you don't have any power at all. Uh, wait a minute, Jesus. He is kind of powerful. No, you don't have any power at all unless it was given you by my Father in heaven. In other words, you can't do anything to me unless God wants it to happen. Folks, if we could get that revelation, man, how different our lives would be. We're so afraid of what people might say about us, what people might do to us. You know what? People can't do anything to you. People can't do anything to me unless God allows it. Why? Because he has all power. He has all authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and possibly, hopefully, maybe once in a while, I'll pay you a visit. You know, the Lord rebuked me today. I often pray for our services. Lord, we don't want to have a show. We want you to show up. Sounds pretty good, right? He rebuked me for that. I'm not going to show up. I don't come and go like that. I, I don't visit you once a month or every once in a while if you've really been good. What does it say? Surely I am with you always till the end of the service. And of course, once Sunday service is over, the devil can have a field day until next Sunday, right? Because the Lord disappears. I'm sad to say it, but that's the mindset a lot of Christians have. Uh-oh, church is over. God's gone now until next week. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 1, God is with us. Matthew 28, God is with us to the end of the age. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Let's stand. God Almighty, I thank you. You know how weak, how frail, how prone we are to worry, to fear, to fretting, and all those other things. And you knew all of that, and you told us over and over and over, don't be afraid, I'm going to be there with you. 
I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And God, help us to remember the story of the three Hebrew boys and how because of their conviction that you were the true and the living God and they were not going to bow down to any other God and they knew you were able to deliver them and even if you didn't, they were not going to change. God, help us to know that you're the same God today and you will never leave us. You'll be with us in the furnace. You'll be with us in the wilderness. You'll be with us in every challenge, every trial, every difficult relationship. You'll be with us to the very end, O God. And Lord, as Moses prayed, so we pray today, Lord, we want your presence. Lord, what else will make us different from anybody else if it's not your presence? Help us to live in your presence, knowing that you're always there, always in us, always by our side, never to leave us nor forsake us. God, as we leave this place today, we leave with assurance. We leave with confidence, not because we're good people, but because you're a great God and because you've promised us in your word. You are faithful and we surrender. We give our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you all. Have a good week.